Welcome back to Lexi's Lounge, your home for mind, body, business, and marketing. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to my childhood best friend, Jean. Growing up next door as neighbors, she had quite a traumatic childhood. Today, I'm giving her the platform to share what exactly happened to her and how she took back control of her life and created the future she's always dreamed of. Jean, welcome to Lexi's Lounge. What are you drinking today? I've got red wine. Red wine? What, what kind, though? Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask because I don't remember. <laughs> Are you serious? You're not a wine snob. You don't just go to the store and be like, I need a cab sob. So that's funny you said that because actually that's my favorite wine. And that's what I look for when I go to get red wine. So Jean, you have an extremely interesting story. And I say interesting very lightly. Like you had a very traumatic upbringing, traumatic childhood, the things you went through blew my mind. And I don't even think I really understood the magnitude of what you went through as a child until just last year when everything kind of clicked. I mean, you and I lived next door to each other. You pretty much lived in my backyard as a kid. My property was really long and the very back of my property, hers was next door to that. So we had like a little common ground. We called it the forest and it was just woods. We'll meet you in the forest. Yeah. And so we would go hang out there (laughs) and she would share things with me when I was younger, but I never fully grasped until recently the actual magnitude of what you went through in your childhood. So for where you are now, I am so proud of you. I am just blown away by how you really pulled yourself up from the bootstraps from where you've been and are where you are now. And I just love you so much for that. And I want to give you the platform to share your story and also help people understand how you can really use your story and your traumas and still pull yourself out of it, no matter how dark it looks. You know, when I moved in next door to you, so parents like split up, we lived in Boise, we moved away and I'm like, okay, like that's, I guess what we're doing. So we ended up living in my grandparents' home. That was like pretty cool. Cause we had our grandpa and like dad wasn't around, but we were really young and like, he was usually out working or like dealing drugs. So we were used to not seeing him. And then my mom got this boyfriend and I remember like the weirdest thing my brother and I had this like horrible feeling we're like "Mm, nope like she had other boyfriends and we were like okay whatever like he's chill but this guy like he really tried to befriend us and like bought us fishing poles and we were like don't like it don't like that guy Mm -mm, nope and then one day our grandparents loaded us up in the car and like loaded our stuff up and we're like you're moving and we were like what like where huh like no one had No one had clued us in on the process of what things were and where they were going, which as a step parent today, like that's one of my big things is when we moved houses, even though we were all moving as a family, he had well advanced notice. He was part of the packing process. He got to donate some toys. You tell your kids what's going on. (laughs) So we pull up to Larry's house and I'm just like, what is this? But okay, like, cool. We have our own bedrooms. So that's, that's neat. And instantly within like the first two weeks, we're just we have to do these extreme chores chopping wood like stacking wood raking yards and picking up cigarette butts cleaning up beer bottles from his teen son and emptying the ashtrays from inside like just really gross stuff that we didn't cause those messes and the dishes like would never get done so there was like mold on the dishes all the time and then On top of that, like we're being screamed at and ridiculed for the way that we're doing the chores that we've never been shown how to do. We were pretty babied by my mom and she felt horrible for having a separated 
family and would really like be passionate and caring and loving. And she always was that, but she fell for this person that was absolute trash. (laughs) And all of the sudden through all of that trauma going on and all of that change that we were experiencing as kids and being yelled at for the first time by a full grown adult man at six, seven years old. So we had just moved there and he had like a condemned bathroom that you could like open the door and it was just like black spider webs and it had a bathtub in it and a toilet and a sink and it was bigger than this closet that I'm sitting in. And I was just like, why don't we have access to that? And he was just the type of person that like once a room got so bad, he would just not use it anymore. (laughs) So um, we went to the store there was this really big a windstorm and I remember before we went to the store there was like tons of outdoor chores that we were doing that were just gross and muddy and it's raining and we've got dirt under our fingernails and we go to Albertson the power went out there and we were like oh like this windstorm's crazy so we, we bring home like bread and soup or something and when the power would go out we'd use the stove the wood stove for cooking so my mom and I are pulling down the driveway and this big tree falls and lands right in front of our car like final destination stuff it almost hit our car like it was inches away from the wow. hood And so my mom like looks over at me and she's like, get out of the car, get out of the car. And I go to get out of the car and the power line that it took down landed on top of our car. And so then my mom was like, oh my God, oh my God, like stay in the car. Because if we had gotten out, like if it was a live wire, we could have been electrocuted in that moment. So I stayed in the car and we backed up and it was fine. Like we, it wasn't a live wire. The PUD or the power or whatever, like came to examine, but because Larry was Native American and we lived on the reservation, they were basically like, look, you got to put your own power bowl back up. I don't know if he had the money and chose not to, or if he just didn't have the money, or if we just didn't as a family choose to budget for that. But it never happened. So instead, the solution was to get a generator and use the water in the well in our yard. And the weird like the worst things would happen they would put the water from the well in these big like barrel jugs and then those jugs would get like microorganisms developing in them and that was the water that we heated up to bathe in you had to heat water up to bathe that's why i always took showers at your house because i didn't have that at home see that never registered in my mind ever like i don't know why it just never clicked did you tell my mom that yeah she fed me and gave me showers (laughs) wow and i didn't have that you know i didn't have that at home it was like it was like whatever box meal we we had and i remember when the when the power had first gone out we had like the same enchiladas for a week and then also minestrone soup and to this day i will not fuck with a minestrone soup <laughs> like i will not it eat reminds it reminds you no. of your trauma i think so and i hated it then and i just like don't want to sit there and excruciatingly eat food because i'm a grown ass adult now and I can eat whatever I want to. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> but um yeah, that just like that was the spark. And that was when like you and I grew really close right after that because I was still new to living there when that had happened. And then we'll like uh, my brother and I were starting to go to school and you and I rode the same bus. So 
I remember we looked over down the street and we were like, oh, it's those girls. Like, we've seen them at the fence before. We wanted to have, like, friends because we were like, we guys live next door. Like, we could all play. We got this forest here. But that's, like, when the house started to decline. We would just keep coming up with alternative solutions, flushing the toilet with a bucket of water because you can't flush a toilet without running water. Bending over the shower and having, like, a boiled pot of water mixed with cold water poured over my head so we could at least shampoo my hair for school having a broken window in my bedroom that just stayed broken the whole time so I stayed terrified of like the night and the evening and the woods and the dark for a long time in my childhood especially when the generator was we would set it to run out of gas for the end of the night so that nobody had to go out next to the woods and turn it off and then come back in the dark and go to the house they would turn it so that it would run out of gas. And so you'd be like playing in your bedroom, like nine, 10 years old, just playing and doing your thing. And the lights would start to flicker, which means the generator is running out of gas. So it's like, (laughs) and the lights are just on off, on off. And you have to like, get your shit and get in bed. Like you're not in PJs, fuck it. Like get in bed because it's about to be pitch black. And we usually didn't have flashlights. Oh my God, that is so traumatic. Everything you just said is so traumatic. A nightmare. You didn't have running water. You did not have a safe place to land. You were constantly in this hyper arousal state of fear of like somebody coming through your window, a tree falling on you. And still being criticized for every single thing that we did by our stepfather throughout all of this. Wow. It's to a magnitude that even me as a child could not comprehend and I not comprehending it until like 25 years old. Like that's the, that's the amount of trauma and poverty that you lived in growing up. And that totally shaped who you were as a person. And I'd love to hear about, you know, the different phases and loops and cycles you've been through once you got out Mm -hmm. of there. Like tell us about how you got out of that. Yeah, so that's actually really funny because I think it's like absolutely a part of childhood trauma that parents' fear is like, okay, so all the screaming and yelling was because they wanted to prevent me from being a bad child. And that is what caused me getting into trouble. So I remember like we definitely were raised with the idea that pot is a drug. It's a horrible thing. And I don't believe as an adult that it is, but because it was a drug and it was illegal and my mom would have that and they would be doing that. And we feared that there were other drugs involved. We found out that there were. And so I remember that I got caught in school with my mom's weed because I was mad at her for lying to me about smoking weed and got suspended for school. And then I was known as like the shady poor girl that definitely gets into weed. So that was like my new stereotype at school. Then I remember being really, really close with the McFalls. And I one day just broke down. Like I, I had spent a few nights at their house. They took care of me. They bought me like school supplies because we couldn't afford it. And here I'm thinking, but we could afford weed though. But I don't have school supplies. <laughs> So I remember being like, you know what? I've had it. Like, I don't want to go home. Like, that's not home. And it doesn't feel good. And I don't want to do it anymore. Like, I'm ready to run to any household that will take me. I don't care. Like, get me out of here. 
And that was that like fight or flight. Like I was like, I need to fight for this because I'm going to like die there. I'm not like, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to be murdered by my stepdad who hates me. Or there's just going to be a break in and monsters are going to come get me from the woods. Like I fully believed that bad things were going to happen. And I ran away and I said, I don't want to go home. So I had her, I had Ashley's mom call my mom and explain to her like that I had told her about the drugs in the house and the abuse and the condition of the house. And she was like, we're going to keep her. I got interviewed by CPS. And by that time, my mom had picked me up by school and uh, from school. And she like basically explained to me that if I didn't make this right with CPS that they would take me away from her and I'd go into the foster system and that fear instilled with me to go ahead and lie to CPS but they weren't going to go away knowing the condition of the house so we had to move and my grandpa was like you guys can all move in here so in eighth grade we moved in with my grandpa's house and I was essentially like yes I've won like I get to live with my grandpa who's the best and like I've always enjoyed my weekends at grandpa and grandma's house and I was there since I was like seven every weekend so I was excited about that and we kind of like moved forward with that but we still had the angry stepdad who hated me even more because he blamed me for losing that house basically Although I'm not the one that let it go to the condition that it was in. And I'm not the adult in the situation. I was the child that was looking for freedom and sanctuary and safety and comfort. Like all these things that I hadn't had, like didn't get a childhood because of. Yeah. The, the times that we played are like the only childhood remem- like memories that I have. Otherwise, I'm like blocking out these traumatic days in that house that I've finally at 26 years old like stopped having nightmares about then it got really weird because we ended up my mom and stepdad had a bad vibe from the grandparents that my grandma would do when you lived with her it's like don't really want you to live here anymore so I'm gonna be a little bit more uptight so we were moving to Idaho with my um aunt and she lived in a trailer park in Garden Valley Idaho which is like redneck city Really beautiful place. I love the people I met there, but oh my God, was it small town. We didn't have a place to be. We didn't have money. And this was a completely unplanned and sporadic move. So we lived in a tent for the first month or two. Oh my God. So you went from living in a trailer with broken windows, no power and no running water to your grandparents. And you thought, yes, I have this sense of normalcy. And then you go to a tent a tent that they smoked cigarettes and weed in while we were in it with them and my aunt debbie's camper where we could go to shower or cook and a group of their friends that were very kind and loving people but would sit around and drink and smoke weed around everybody and their kids and then they finally bought a camper so we were neighbors to my my aunts in this little trailer park where again they smoked cigarettes and weed in the house while we were there and all of our things in this little tin can camper just smelled and reeked of smoking so now that we didn't have a house that smelled like dogs and dog shit and lack of cleaning and moldy kitchen and run down house and cigarettes they were just like recreating it in this little trailer and so of course that gave us a reputation coming into high school of just being like poor 
and why do you smell like smoke all the time? The next year they got a fifth wheel, so it was bigger, but same thing. And then we got cats, and that was not helpful to the environment. And then at 16, my mom and my stepdad finally started to have issues with each other. And my mom... That's what it took? Yeah. Dude, yeah. Like, it was finally just like, you seem like you hate my daughter. And, like, I had had these episodes where I was like, F you, I hate you. Like, you suck. And just poured out, like, all of my emotions on him and... He came back and was like, I love you. And I was like, I know you do. He said he was sorry multiple times. And I said, okay, because it wasn't like it was going to change, you know? So they finally were like breaking up. And then I was like, mom, I'm so proud of you. And then I went to this place as like an after school hangout called the Outreach Center in Garden Valley. And these friends of mine were like, I'm so sorry. Like, so sorry, Jean. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, you didn't hear And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, Larry's coming back. And I was just like, oh, hell no. So I went to my mom, 16 years old. I said, I'm moving out. I will not live in this toxic environment with this person. We took magic erasers to the walls and you could write your name in the nicotine stains. And I was like, I'm not doing this. So I I was like, there's my grandparents in Everett, Washington. There's my Aunt Rena in Coeur d'Alene. Or I can live at my friend Katie's house up the road. And my mom was like, is that actually an option up the road at Katie's? I was like, yeah, like, yes. Or we could not have Larry here and we can all live together. Like, or, you know, so I did. I moved down with my friend Katie for a while. And then um, I think I probably started to get on her nerves and, um, you know, an undiagnosed neurodivergent ADHD, like trauma victim (laughs) coming out of the, the nest for the first time, like, Probably had some neurotic behaviors. Well, you didn't. You didn't but, know about um, right? <laughs> like that was your no, normal. Not at all. It's that was me like normal now. to you, right? Yeah, exactly. So and hiding in my room. I don't know. But so one of my other friends, Ashley, took me in, and oh, her mom made the best enchiladas. I still think about this them to this day. But I started to realize, like, I'm just going to get on my friend's nerves if I live with them. And that was my new trauma response. And so I reached out to my dad who had, you know, this whole time I just said he was a drug dealer and he wasn't part of the picture. Well, he finally got out of prison when I was like 12. And I was making him kind of like work up me to trust him again and like trust that he'd stay out and be around And so at 16, I was like, dude, can I live with you? And that move brought normalcy to my life. He was out of prison, clean and sober, like five, six years at the time. Um, Took care of me, made sure I had school clothes, made sure I had good school supplies. Um, If I wanted extra money, I could work for it and do chores for it. Never raised his voice at me. And then started to open up and listen to the nightmare experience that I had had grown up. And we shared, you know, frustrations about how things had gone. And he got me through high school at the very last two years. Like, got me to graduate through online school. Because I was like, Dad, I can't do another high school. Like, this, this sucks as my senior year. Like, being new. I don't want to do that. So, he was like my teacher. And... At the time we were going to church together, we'd go to the YMCA together and work out. Like it was a really great bonding experience. And then I graduated high school and was like, I'm going to go to college and become a massage therapist. It's like my my dad is in a trade and he's very successful with it. He always has money. Like he always has enough. And my cousin, Kevin, like he's a tattoo artist. He's in a trade. 
and he works for himself. Like these people in my family that work for themselves seem to do really well. And so, and also, you know, my whole like life story about having massage on the side and like giving your mom hand massages. And, you know, that was always my thing. Yeah. My mom used to brag. She's like, if you brush my hair or give me a hand massage, she's like, I'll buy you ice cream. And so Mm -hmm. like me, my sister, Jean and our other friend, Grace, we were all over that. We're like, yep, we'll just sit there. And I remember to this day, my mom's like, I love when Jean tells me stories because she would just brush her hair and just tell her stories. Yeah, <laughs> it was her love language, that physical touch. Like, if you yeah. love her right now and you like put your hands in her hair, she'll be like, "Oh, come here, <laughs> come do mm-hmm. some." Your house was like my safe house. Like that was my sanctuary, and those are like those good memories. I wasn't at home like bonding with my family. I was at your home bonding with your whole family. Like you knew all the grandmas. Yeah, and that's that was like that's the root and you know beginning of our best friendship growing up just since moving to Idaho and like going through all of that I finally was like able to find something normal again I was happy and I was like wow this is really cool like I've never felt like I can just like drop my milk in the middle of the floor and be like oops and nothing happened yeah um and so yeah I was I was going to go to school be, become a massage therapist and the craziest part about like that was my like gateway that was my portal of like you can finally be in control of your life and like do what you want and make good choices for yourself I go camping over the summer and I meet this man who ends up being extremely controlling and manipulative and abusive distracts me from my schooling I drop out of massage school to go work at a call center because benefits and pay right away and did that for eight years of my life. And for four years of those, I was with this person who like put me in that same, like I literally crawled into a box inside my own soul and shut it and locked it and was just operating. That's all I could do. Like just do what this person says, because that's what you were raised to do always. That's what's and yeah. And the crazy thing too is like, my stepdad used to say things like, no one's ever going to want to marry you. And it was like, you're narcissistic and lazy, just tearing me down like he would. And so when this man, after six stupid months of dating at 18 years old, proposes to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, Larry was wrong. I'm going to get married to someone. To an abusive guy. Oh, little did I know, right? Yeah, but oh, did you didn't know at that time that he was abused? I didn't. It was like literally I feel like the moment that I had that ring on my finger, he was like, "Cool. So you have now applied to be my wife and boot camp begins now." Like, <gasps> oh, shit. this is what I expect. Like it was just like expectations that of like misogynistic expectations. There was no equality in that relationship, even down to the fact that like I weighed usually 125 and I'm a 135 girl because he would say things to me like, I'm bigger than you and I need to eat more than you. You don't need that second plate. Oh, I wish I would have known at this time that he was as bad. Oh my God. But I get it. Cause you like in, while you're in those relationships, you're scared to death to speak out about them. Yeah. And in my early childhood, I was taught that we don't talk about the things that are happening in the house because when you do that, trouble comes and people meddle. And that was unfortunately the rule. You know, you don't talk about it. 
And as, of course, when you start to get older and like kids look at you and they're like, why are you different and weird? And I'm like, cause I'm poor and gross. Like, I don't know. And that right. Yeah. Like right that there, you're just like, uh, do you want to sit down and I'll tell you why? Like I could tell you and they don't want to hear that in school. You're just weird and gross and poor. So yeah, like growing up and like realizing that I had that mentality of you don't talk about what's going on in the house. So I didn't talk about it. And I realized that if I chose to speak up and tell a friend what I was going through, they would tell me that I need to make a change and I would need to do something and I would need to then become independent on my own And I learned about this thing called financial abuse, which is what I was dealing with. So we had one bank account and I was the money supporter. So I was like paying for this relationship and he had control of everything. He had all my banking information. Like when I finally left, I had to go and like fight for my last $450 before he got to it. The moment I got paid, I was like, please help me. Met an amazing banker that did help me with limited ID. But um, so, yeah, I couldn't tell people because I would need to make a change. So I finally was ready and I, I did make that change. And I moved out with a friend and just disappeared from him. And changing my name also helped a lot with that because that like embodied the life that I had with him and the abuse that I endured growing up that that was that girl that went through that. And so I feel like a reblossoming of. I can be someone else and I can be in charge of who I am. After leaving him, I remember feeling like, wow, like this is the fresh start. This is that like glory moment that I've been waiting for since I was probably six years old of just like keeping myself in that box and looking out and being like, oh, it's still messy out there and shutting that and locking it for longer. And it's crazy when you start to feel that inner self, like where I am now after spending like a year, almost a year by myself, single, getting into a six month, extremely toxic relationship with a man that was extremely unfaithful and unloyal. And then I thought to myself, how did I, how did I do this again? Like I just survived four years of trauma and abuse. And now I'm sitting here with this shady dude that's like driving me crazy and making me act ways I wouldn't act because I'm suspicious all the time. And at the end of the six months, like, girl, good thing you were suspicious. That's called your intuition. And she knows what's up. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, that was a huge lesson to me. Like I was afraid of women for a long time after that, because they were women that were right in front of my face that were betraying me. And then I was just kind of like, that's a lot of energy though, like to hate women. Why don't I just like reapproach this with love? Listen to my intuition. And if I feel a certain way, don't act like a child about it and just get up and be like, hey, this is going to sound weird, but I have this screaming feeling in my stomach that I should be concerned. So please, if you could just settle those for me, (laughs) then we can move on with our day. And I've gone through that in my relationship today. Like, and I've had my current partner sit me down and be like, listen, I'm not your exes. And he named the two that hurt me the most in my adult life and was like, I am not that person. I don't expect anything of you. I just love you and want you to love me too. Mm. Like, that's all I ask. And it was just like, wow, like how cool that I have this guy that can point out to me like, girl, you're healed and you've grown, but you still seep a little bit of trauma sometimes. 
And I see that. And he's like, you are underestimating me as a partner when you get all worked up about these little things. And I get that it's because you've been through stuff. That was what I left my abuser at 22 and I'm 26, three, four, five, six, four years ago. And that's really, really cool because this November will mark exactly four years since I walked away from that person. And I believe that trauma heals even better. Like when you meet that, like this person had me endure for this many years and I'm this many years past it. Cause you can look forward and backward at the same time and look backward with your middle finger high and be like, you're never, you're never going to do that to me again. And I think yeah. just um, to point something out, what you've been saying is your relationship with your abuser was pretty much a carbon copy of your relationship with that parental figure in your life, regardless of how yes. abusive they were. So a lot of people, they're like, why do I keep getting shitty boyfriends? And why do I, you know, keep getting these horrible people? A lot of times the people we marry are, they have similarities to our parental figures or the authorities in our childhood. Mm -hmm. But also I want to point out the fact that you can be aware that you're in an abusive relationship and it's really hard and there are resources and I will link some in the show notes here because it's really important that you do get that help, but it becomes a pattern until you decide you are done with those people. You know, once you take power back into your own hands and you're like, listen, I'm I'm done with the abusive people. Like I see the signs now. I trust myself. Trusting yourself, like you said, is one of the most important mm -hmm. things you can do because when you're in an abusive relationship, they make you seem crazy. They gaslight you, tell your your tell you your reality is not the truth. Say things that make you feel like you're just the worst piece of shit person in the world. They really tear you down. So there are resources available, but also it's really important to start working on that trust in yourself because that's when you're really going to start blossoming and that's when you're really going to start attracting those partners like you have, Jean, that really are just a good human. They're there for you. They're not that abusive person. But if you, that old quote, you teach people how to treat you, you know, that that's so true because if you have just been walked all over and stepped on your whole life, of course, you're going to let some other dude do it because it's familiar. It's what you know. But mm -hmm. until you're like, nope, I'm putting my foot down. That's not going to happen. That's not how I want my life to live. You know, that's mm -hmm. when you're really going to start seeing the change. And I think that's what happened with you. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, in, in the ending of all of that, that relationship specifically, he of course did not like when I would start to stand up for myself. As I started scrolling through Pinterest and just randomly seeing these quotes that were about gaslighting. And the more that I'd pin those, the more that I'd see them. And I started learning and researching silently next to him about these traits and realizing like, dude, this is, this guy's extremely toxic. Like, how did I not see that? So I would start to be like, hey, no, we're not doing that. And I, it took me to be 22 years old and start to realize that if I continued on, I was just going to be his baby making, dinner making, housemaid. That was it for me. And then I thought back to, gosh, I wanted to be a massage therapist. Like I wanted to live this really cool spiritual life and enjoy my partner and live in a home where we don't yell. That was my goal, the home that I almost ran away to. They didn't yell, they were massage therapists her mom and dad, stepdad, and they owned their massage business and they did very well. And they never yelled. Like they never yelled. We got into their vodka and they were like, girls, 
you're grounded. Like, you can't be doing that. We know you did it. And we don't understand why you thought that was okay. Like, it was very peaceful. And I'm just like, wow, like, all I had to do is drop something in my home and be yelled at. And that continued on in my abusive relationship. So once I started kind of seeing and imagining this other life for me, and I think that that's, that's also relevant in, like, manifestation and, like, living the life that you want. If you're struggling with a life that you're in or with certain scenarios that you're living, then create in your mind like a better scenario for you that you will have. It will come. But if you sit there and dwell on what's not going well for you, it's going to continually go that way. I believed that I was going to have those good experiences. And that's like those, those cute TikTok trends that are going around that are like, I believed that I wanted more. I wanted to spend time in the sun and enjoy divine energy and all this. Like, I'm like, girl, yes. And so, you know, we're, we're planning hopefully a honeymoon in Costa Rica next year. And I'm like, God, wouldn't that be such a win from not even being able to like have McDonald's for dinner because we're so poor, but we'd have to eat like this minestrone soup to having to make what the man wanted and make it when he wanted, no matter what, if I was tired or literally trigger warning, miscarrying our child, because that would happen where I'd still served him while going through like this labor. I will never have to do that again. And I remember through meditation, like I received this message that I was like told I wouldn't have to suffer anymore. And that I would turn the pain that I've been through, through actual healing and like magic and beautiful wellness and be able to inspire other women. And what's really cool is I've done that. Like, I feel like when you're playing the Sims and you set your like achievement goal and you reach it and then you're like, cool, now I can focus on like other goals that I never even thought of before because I wanted to be a massage therapist and have like a cute loving family and not be yelled at in my relationship and just feel free to be myself. And through being loved the right way, loving myself the right way and learning how to respect myself, trust my intuition, trust my power, trust who I am, learning from the lessons from when I tried to do things kind of the wrong way and really evaluating my life choices as they came after two toxic ex-boyfriends, a DUI, a totaled car, a journal full of like painful poetry and all of the garbage that I needed to spit out all that disaster behind me. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) My work from home, like being praised at work at a call center environment seemed more like people just calling me at home to harass me for eight hours a day. And I was like, it's time to go back to school. And my partner, Willie, was like, look, I got us. Like, you work part-time, get yourself through school. I will make sure our bills get paid, but you are clearly unhappy and you need to do something else. You need to find your thing. And he had done that. He left the call center world. We met there in a call center. I know. And he ended up um, getting into the cooking industry. And now he's like a GM and project manager for this, this unique modern style delivery food business here. And I'm so proud of him. Yeah. He got me through this and I was like, okay, well then I guess, I was going to like do my career thing, but he accidentally found one. And then that helped me to get through finding mine and finding the right flow for me. And then we like applied for this new home and it was super cool because the house we moved into was beautiful. 
And I remember you were like, you're moving, but you love your house. I was like, yeah. But I'm like still grateful for the house that I lived in where I got engaged. I decided I wanted to go to school. I deepened my relationship with my partner and his son. We really got into the flow of like that romantic relationship where you just kick ass at life. And you do it together, and then you keep doing it better together. And that's, that's like, real love and real growth. And now we're in this really cool little house, and I'm, like, I'm a, I'm a massage therapist. He's a project manager for Crave Delivery. Our roommate is a chef at a winery. Our stepson, my stepson, is in freaking swim lessons in preschool, and we're dedicated, and we get praised by our friends all the time for, like, how much we care to just give him a cool life. And my little dog is spoiled, so I'm like, I don't have a damn thing to be upset about. I, I just think it's incredible where you came from. Listeners, I'm sure, are hearing your story and being like, uh, what? Just cannot comprehend that level of trauma and poverty as somebody who just lives in middle class. Like you live in a middle class city, you know, but you were like in poverty in the middle of a middle class city. So I think it's hard for people to wrap their mind around, but also the beauty that came from that, from those ashes, like it's probably something that I think, well, it's something that you and I've talked about that you never thought was possible for you because of where you came from and -hmm. what your experiences have been. So I just think that's amazing. What for people who have gone through some sort of trauma or poverty or something really hard in their life that they feel like it's really hard to move on from, what's your, what's your words of wisdom that you can give them? Or how did you really start making that change to get where you are now versus where you came from? Like, how did you bridge the gap? I think that it's like, it's going to be the most basic, commonly said thing that I could possibly think of. And it's what I held on to. It's two things. Um, Literally use your life examples as examples for what you don't want to live. Don't, don't let that be your comfort and know in your soul that you can do better and you can find better and you'll get that. And if you think you will, you will. And make sure that like, I, I hyper fixate on it, but don't, don't live in your past, like create something better. And, um, the other one is going to be really cheesy. Just listen to hold on by the Jonas brothers. Like that did it for me in seventh grade. In seventh grade, the Jonas brothers, they got you. Well, shoot, we got to give them a special shout out. I don't even know. I literally like, I graduated massage school and I was like, we're going to listen to, Hillary Duff and Jonas Brothers and all that stuff that I listened to back then because I didn't get to enjoy it. I was sad listening to that stuff. And now I'm an adult. I'm happy. I've achieved a lot. We're going to re-experience these songs. And I, I played Hold On by the Jonas Brothers. I was like, we made it, girl. We made yeah, it. You know what? That I, my thought, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong in this, but is that, do you think that those songs were where that dream of being a massage therapist died at that same time those songs were out? And then now that you've achieved that, you're like, you know what? I thought these songs died here, but now I'm going to listen to them and take my power back from that. Yeah, I would say you're probably spot on. Um, I It flashes me back to like being in that old broken window bedroom and hearing hearing the Jonas Brothers just be like, just hold on. And I'm like, dude, I hope you're right. Like, <laughs> I hope you're right because I would love, and at nine years old, I was like trigger warning. I was like, I'm ready to end it. Like I could just die i'm nine years old and i see no reason to endure the next what nine ten years with this family Mm -mm. like no i'm broken down mentally i cannot go on 
like this. And then I heard that song and was like, again, like, you better be right, dude. You better be right. Because if it's not good, then all of this was for nothing. And I need it to be good. I need it to. There's a song now that I listen to by Tosh Sultana. And it, it, I don't, I'll have to message later and tell you what the name of it was. But the, the lyric is um, that I need this more than I should right now. And when we had applied for this house, I was like, dude, this is like, I need this for my childhood to be like, we made it, girl. Like, you live in a nice house. It's clean. It's pretty. You're good. Like, it's not going to be like it ever was. And yeah, like, I needed that a lot. I needed it for affirmation. But even if I hadn't got that, I would have found something else and loved it and made the best of it. So. Yeah, but it just shows that you aren't chained and bound to your past and your childhood. You know, every moment is a new moment. Every day is a new day. Yes, there are things that are really hard and the traumas can bubble up and linger. Like, I know what you were saying earlier about how, you know, you're 26 now and you're finally getting over, you know, most of the things that would trigger you. But I'm sure, Mm -hmm. you know, through each walk of life, there's going to be something that comes up, like whether it be a smell or a song or a TV show or something Mm -hmm. that's gonna, that could possibly bring it up. But you're in such a good place right now where you can separate yourself from that feeling and in the Mm -hmm. present moment right now, know that that's in the past. That's not currently happening to me right now. I'm safe where I am right now. And I have built this life the way I want it to be. And I think what you said about the things in our life that we grew up not liking, we despised them and we hated them. And then, you know, going into our own adulthood, we, we, we create our life around the way we want it, whether that be because of an ex- a good example we saw or a bad example we saw, you know, I can say many times in my life, I'm like, Ooh, I will never do that to my kids, you know, and mm-hmm. sidebar, that's so much easier to say than to actually do because if you grew up in a house that had screaming all the time subconsciously you're going to probably scream at your kids because that's what's all you know you don't Mm -hmm. you don't your initial reaction isn't like well I'm gonna sit down and have a conversation with them I mean if it is like how did you do that but (laughs) um, take some work and some patience that's for sure yeah for sure but I think it's just so powerful that you were able to really funnel your past and use it as strength in your future and create a new beginning. Like you just proved right there that you are not chained, you are not bound, and you truly are in control of your life regardless of the circumstances. Yeah. And I think that that's one thing I can appreciate about past self is at 12, I was like, no, I'm running away. I'm not doing this. And then at 16, I was like, no, I'm moving out. I'm not doing this because I knew that I could have better without being like toxic positive too. Like I'm not going to deny that there was like real and raw shit through the healing process. And one point that I was going to touch on is like, there were times that triggers would come up for me and I'd be like, oh no, like now I'm triggered and I have mental disability. Ah, like this is horrible for me. And then I would just think about that and make it worse in my head because it seemed worse and it seemed bad and it sounded horrible. 
and I even like I ended up in a mental hospital at one point because I was manic depressive like just broke under pressure and was like I can't go on like but I turned myself in because I realized that I was being like things are crazy right now like I am I understand the psychological and physical effects of stress on the body and realizing that my hyperventilating is a reaction of the nervous system and my nervous system is freaking out because my brain won't stop thinking all these crazy things that are going on in my life and making up these stories that are not reality. And because of that, I'm freaking out. So I learned how to like convince myself that like, girl, no, we're not doing that. And I, I am diagnosed anxiety and depression and insomnia. Do you think I take medication for that? No, I smoke weed. <laughs> like that helps me chill out a little bit, but also like just deeply breathing, you know, like I don't need to take a medication to be able to process my own emotions. And I know it's not that easy for everybody, but I figured out ways to master my mind through it and now when I have those trigger moments I'm like oh (laughs) you again yeah you can can separate yourself from that and not take it on as an identity of I'm a broken Mm -hmm. traumatized person no you've been through broken and traumatizing things but that doesn't define who you are and it never will you know like even tomorrow if something really traumatic happens to you it's not who you are it's something that happened to you. And unfortunately, those aren't the things we can control. So the best thing that we can do is allow ourselves to feel the pain and all the emotions because otherwise we're going to store them in our body. Mm -hmm. But allow ourselves to feel those things and heal from them and really try to find the positive in it that you can take as a lesson. And then grow from it. And that way you can help other people through it. But if you stay stuck in that pain and in that trauma for an extended period of time, it's not going to be good for you at all. Then you're going to start coping, whether that be with alcohol or drugs or eating or self-sabotaging habits. If that's Mm -hmm. where it becomes a problem is when you get stuck there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's where like, I hate to touch on it, but like when people have history of drug abuse or alcohol addiction in their family and like, I remember being told like, oh, you're going to have problems with that because your family, like drug addicts and alcoholics, like it's going to happen to you. You have to be really careful. And so that made me like, it's made me today where like, you see, we've talked about my progress. Like I've gone really far in my life and I'm proud of myself. But when I do step out for a drink with friends, like I have gotten to this point in my life where I'm like, girl, like you're thriving so hard. Like you shouldn't be drinking at all. And this is something that like, I remember my abuser would like, we'd go out and drink and then he would shame me for like drunk behaviors and like silly things that happened. And now like I'll find myself waking up in the morning and be like, we shouldn't have done that. Mm. Yep. Shouldn't have done that. That was really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And that's funny, like, I realize what's happening, too. But then I'm just like, can I just, like, guilt-free, like, go and have fun without being like, oh, spent my money on that. Now I don't have that money. Ate that food already. Now I I can't eat it for later. Those are those weird little things that, like, I don't think I realize in the moment that I'm doing. But, like, I realize them after that I'm like, oh, you trauma kid. Yeah. It's crazy how it comes up in your life, too. Like, I know my sister and I, we had been in a mindset of scarcity for a long time. It was like, I remember we used to like fight over food. My sister and I did. 
And oh, I remember that. You would like hide the brownies in a in like a drawer so we could make them later and eat them. Yeah. Like, no, hide the brownies or Allie will make them. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's so silly, but like, it's not like a conscious choice to be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to decide today that my sister is going to take the brownies that I want to eat later. So that means I have to hide them. Like, mm -hmm what? No, that's, that's literally programming that is seeping into your life because of what you've been through, you know? And I don't want to say it's neither good nor bad. It just is. It is what it is. Like you can't change it. You can't do anything about it besides assign a meaning to it. But why would you want to do that to yourself? You know, it just mm -hmm. is what it is. I, I mean, yes, I'm not going to discredit and say you can't ever assign a meaning to anything because some things are just flat out bad. Some things are flat out good too, though. I guess I'm speaking more towards like the ego, right? When you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, you know, with the, yeah. with the shame of going out and drinking. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. That's us assigning a meeting to it. However, that meaning gotten to us that that's the bad way to do it versus the good way to do it. But that's what I mean by it just is what it is. It just yeah. is. I went out last night and that's what happened. It mm -hmm. just is, you know, and that, that takes a lot of letting go of control by doing that. Like that sounds so hard for me right now. Like just being like, it just is, you know, and I'm not, and let me just disclaimer for all of you people listening. I am, I say these things, but I literally am not perfect. And I work on them every single day. Like I just, <laughs> I say it is what it is, but I still get super triggered by certain things. This is just conscious opinion and healing and things that I've learned. And obviously that Jean has learned. So if it's not landing with you, then it's not meant for you. But if it is landing with you, then it absolutely was meant for you. So what is your parting wisdom and advice for people who had a really traumatic childhood or are in an abusive relationship or just in a spot in their life where they are just not happy but feel stuck? The first thing that comes to mind is that only you can make a change for yourself. It's not going to be family or friends dragging you out of your own personal hell. It has to be you because you've you've created that door and you've got the key to it. That's the big thing with like people that are still suffering. Like it, it's a hard take, but you're choosing that every day and you don't have to live like that. So yeah. open the door and walk the hell out. Like yeah. it's, it's gotta be you. It's no one else that's going to help you. Or like they say, no one's coming. Well, yeah, it might be, it might take you a couple times of getting up and setting back down and getting up and setting back down and getting up and reaching for the door, but setting back down and then getting up and touching the doorknob, but then sitting back down. And then maybe the next time turning it and then maybe the next time opening it and then shutting it. You might even step out the first time and then land right back in. Mm -hmm. But the important thing is that you're looking at that door and you see that there's something better on the other side. Yeah. And that's the good news is, yeah, it has to be you, but you can change your life. Like you have full control over that. It doesn't have to be any certain way. Yeah. And I will never forget. I don't even talk to the person that told me that years ago, but they said, you don't have to live like this. And then I was just kind of like, oh, Duh, what? <laughs> right. Well, I've been doing it for four years, for my entire 22 years of life. What? My bad. All right, cool. I'm just going to go ahead and step out of my own front door and probably never come back. Yeah, right. <laughs> one bag and stepped out. You know, I, I went back after I knew that he was gone and packed up a couple more bags. Still use the ottoman that I used in that house in my living room today. And it's time for me to replace it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's another chapter closed. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, and then it gets to a point where you're not constantly, you know, assigning meetings to like, oh, the Ottoman is is abusive. You know, that reminds me of abuse. <laughs> the Ottoman rem- reminds oh, me. Oh, don't look of at abuse. that. That's my abusive Ottoman. <laughs> it's my emotional support Ottoman. <laughs> You I'm know sorry, what I mean. Part that would fit my my emotional support ottoman. <laughs> We're gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> it's okay. It starts with awareness, and then it becomes conscious choice, right? Because once you're aware of something that's a problem, then you have mm-hmm. to make a choice, and that's when the control's in your hands. But I do want to say that it also has a factor of habit in there. What's familiar? What's habitual for you? So, like, let's use the diet example for the million time. You're like, listen, I am consciously aware that I am not at the weight I want to be. I am aware that I am overweight and that I'm unhealthy, right? Then it's the step of tomorrow, you know, eating healthier, making healthier choices. But Mm -hmm. it's the habit of eating the fast food or just putting the food in the microwave and whatever. It takes conscious choices daily to get to that habitual spot where it's like second mm-hmm. nature and it's just a part of your life. So if you try something once and you're like, Oh God, oh, I tried. And then I fell right back into where I was. Try again because it takes habit. You know, there's only so much willpower you can have before habits need to be formed. Yeah. Try again, but like try it different next time. Not the same black and white method to anything is going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, I, I love, I love that people spend the time going to college and doing their thing and learning so much stuff. I think it's extremely beneficial, but I also agree with ending the stigma of everyone should go to a four-year university. Amen. My dream did not fit into that. And I will tell you, my science teacher in high school straight up told me like, you should probably go into anatomy because chemistry is not going to be your forte. And that was okay. Like, that didn't mean that I'm dumb. That just means that chemistry is a complex thing that I'm probably not going to be passionate about and not really going to give a fuck about. And I'm not going to understand it. Like, that's okay. Because what I found was nine-month trade school where I got to learn that. And some people are, like, one of my best friends is a tattoo artist. She got to be trained on the job how to do that. And it came from a place of loving and speaking art. And I just, yeah, that's that's it. (laughs) I love that. Well, I just thank you so much, first of all, for your vulnerability and sharing your story, because that is not an easy one to tell, but it is totally encompassing of the whole theme of this podcast, which is using the power of your past and your traumas and everything you've been through and creating a story and a survival survival guide for other people, you know, using the power of what you've been through to help you be successful in life. And I think you've done that just so well. And I just totally appreciate and love you. And I'm blown away by the places you have been and where you are now and just how you don't let those things define who you are and you continually show your willpower and your strength and your determination and honestly just tenacity in general of being like I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to sit here and just let life happen to me like you're taking the power back you have the control in your hands and you live a life that you love now because it's a life that you created based on the things that feel good for you so I think that it's totally a testament to 
again, the topic of this podcast. And I think it's really inspirational for people who are in places that they don't want to be right now is your testimony and your story. So thank you for sharing it. Thanks for giving me a space too. Amen. And I, you know, (laughs) I think we could do a whole, we could do so many different things with podcasts, you and me. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll be chatting again because we can get really deep and philosophical way too easily almost. (laughs) I know. That's why we have to plan our phone conversations. It's like, it might be a few hours. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right. Do you have time um, for the rest of the evening? It's four o'clock right now. (laughs) I kid you not. One time we were on the phone for four hours. And then, I still reference that too. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a few months ago. It was like, we just talked about everything under the stars, but um, Jean's one of those friends to me that everybody should have where, you know, you don't have to talk for months or years or whatever. And then you show up and talk like you just talked yesterday. And I mean, like her and I could probably talk for four hours every single day about just like nothing, you know, mm-hmm. like we're just, <laughs> we're just soul sisters like that. We've been through a lot, but everything we've been through got us to where we are now and I think our relationship is stronger than ever so beautiful <laughs> that's my attempt at being sooner super vulnerable and then I have to throw in some like coping mechanism in it like hashtag lol smiley face laugh yeah, emoji like a face <laughs> <laughs> well Jean thank you so much for being on the podcast and um I can't wait to hear the feedback we get for this. Where can people find you? A new you massage dot gene, J-E-A-N. Perfect. Well, I will link that in the show notes below as well. And if you are local to the Meridian Boise type suburb of Idaho, Jean gives the best massages west of the Mississippi. So I would definitely book with her. All right. I love you. Thanks for having I me. I love you. Thank you so much for hanging in the lounge today. I hope you had some actionable takeaways from this episode. And also remember to be kind to people because you never know what's happening behind the scenes. Make sure to connect with us on social media, subscribe, and give some love in the reviews. You will not want to miss next week's episode where I chat with some lawyers about the do's and don'ts of online business. So we'll see you then.